This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Okay, my name is Sias. Um, I've been here, I was a first year a couple of years ago. Um, like six years, okay? No, no, it was in 1994. Found my wife here, Louise, in the church. We went on a mission trip together, and she was, I was the leader, she was the food dunny, and I made the right choice, I mean. So um, we, have, um, we have three children, two in high school, and one in amazing children, and one in, in primary school. And, uh, and we've seen over the years, when the church started here in Stellenbosch, we were 30 people in the church, a little small church, uh, pre, before apartheid was, was um, still changed and all of that stuff so they were just like very very conservative people and people didn't worship like we worship here on campus but we've seen god do so many things so many there's more than eighteen thousand students that has gone through this church here in stellenbosch over the last 25 years and we give god all the glory uh, but we believe that you need to be trained you need to be equipped uh, to face life to see the challenges of life and that's why discipleship is so important and yes, we have big events. There's a couple of events coming up. Um, Stephen Lungu is going to be in two weeks. He was a terrorist that blew, wanted to blow up a tent in, God, in Zimbabwe. Um, and, and God just moved in his life, changed his life around. He's ministered in to the more than 42 presidents, including Obama and all these, and, and the Bush and all those people. And then we have Werner Hubert, who is like the fan favorite of Survivor. He's going to come the week after that. He's a pastor. Um, how many of you have watched Survivor? All, all the series people. The South African Survivor. And then the first weekend after the March holidays, um, Angus Bucken is coming to speak here at church. And, um, and so we're really looking forward to that. We're going to move over to Kutzenberg for, for that event. Um, so we're really looking forward to, to host him. And he says, sends all of his love. Any Natal people here? Okay, the Lord loves Natal people, okay? The Lord loves everybody, but sometimes he needs to love some people a little bit more like the Natal people, okay? Any free state people here? Okay. Namibia, the land flowing with milk and biltong. So you're all welcome. Cool. I'm going to, uh, we, we, our theme for the year as a church is let's stand. Would you say that? Let's stand. You know, and... Um, so, so we're just continuing on that theme at the beginning of the year. We're talking about a lot of things because, you know, as you go out on this campus, there's going to be a lot of people that just go with the flow. They don't live out of a place of knowing God and knowing their identity and knowing their authority in Christ. And so I'm going to talk about somebody that we've probably all read about, somebody that Jesus, Jesus came to stand before this person. And we're going to look at his life. We're going to look at sort of the challenges in his life. And then I'm going to challenge us at the end to actually make a stand for Christ. Because you have to make a choice. There is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. You cannot be neutral. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for life. I thank you that we're standing and sitting on holy ground and that you are changing lives. Even as we encountered you in worship, as we hear, Lord, for you, not to be consumers or just to be comfortable Christians. Lord, come and turn our hearts, change our hearts. Lord, we need you. 
Because you are our all-sufficiency. You are everything. Lord, man cannot change us. A church cannot change us. Only you can. And we pray tonight that you will, Lord, walk through these chairs and that you'll touch every person through your Holy Spirit in a special way. Holy Spirit, you are the guest of honor here. Thank you that you're the spirit of wisdom and revelation, counsel, the fear of the Lord, the spirit of might. Come, Lord, and, and open the eyes of our understanding to see who Jesus and the Father is. We just say, Lord, we ask that you arrest us and that you show the Lordship of Christ to us in this place. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen just means I agree. Matthew 27. This is Jesus standing before the judgment seat of Pilate. And Pilate was a guy in charge of a whole region uh, under the Romans. The Romans ruled the, the culture, the day. The Jews had the Sanhedrin, their leaders, but they were subject to the Romans. The Romans basically ruled the whole world. And so, <clears throat> jumping in verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife, this is Pilate's wife, sent to him saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priest, that's the Jewish priest and elders, persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas! Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said to him, let him be crucified. Okay, so there's an exclamation mark. So that's how we should read the Bible. Okay. So that they were screaming and shouting. Verse 23. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. Okay. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. What a moment when somebody had to make a choice. Jesus is standing here. The Jews are there. There's Romans. And, and Pilate was probably minding his own business, heard a lot about Jesus. Jesus came by, and suddenly this crowd says, crucify this man. And now Pilate must make some decisions. And just like you and I, every day we have to make some decisions concerning Jesus that stands before us. You can have a different type of relationship with Jesus. And let me say this, um, even, even tonight, you know, we're not talking about uh, conservative or charismatic churches, all that stuff. We get a lot of churches all around even Stellenbosch but if we don't live principled lives and live out of the word we we will just look like the world and so many churches you know we're all for signs and nice stuff and all of that stuff but all this stuff means absolutely nothing if you have not encountered Jesus if there was not a moment in your life when he stood before you and, and it's so amazing I've had the privilege to go into the Middle East and and talk to Christians there, and most of them would talk about one thing. They would talk about the man who has fire in his eyes. The man who has fire in his eyes. And my question is, have you seen that fire? Have you been in that moment with Jesus? I'm not talking about church. We're not talking about a nice experience and a jump up and down and, yeah, we sing all these nice songs. But unless it's you and him, and you've stood before him, and he stood before you. You had not a real encounter with God. Maybe you had an encounter with church. Maybe you had an encounter with nice songs and all that stuff. Because there's a lot of stuff we can be worshipping or worshipping about. 
So when Jesus stood before Pilate, look at some of the things that Pilate did. The first thing is he ignored the presence of Jesus. So he said like, hey, this man has really done nothing bad. Some of you may came with somebody else or you've been a Christian because your parents were Christians. But sort of you, you ignore the fact, you know, it's just like, hey, this, this man, when I just look at him from a distance, I, I'm, I want to have a distant relationship with him. And, and therefore, if I can keep him there, he's, he's done nothing wrong. Pilate also admired Jesus because he said Jesus was a good man. He says, look here, this, this man has done nothing wrong, but more than that, I have some respect for him. And there's a lot of people that would be agnostic today maybe and say, hey, yeah, there is a God, but you know what? I don't really care. As long as he's out there, he's not personal. So he's, he said, he's a good man. Then what he started to do, he realized like, oh, the pressure is cooking a little bit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to shift my responsibility to make a decision about this man standing before me. So let me send him to Herod. So he sent him to Herod, and then Herod was in the, in the area, and so Herod sent him back, and now, oops, sorry, he has to make a decision. Because when you and I stand before Jesus, we have to make a decision. And it's only you. You know, do you know that? Sleeping in a garage does not make you a car. Have you realized that? You can go and lie there, put your bed in the garage, and go boom, 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 boom. It doesn't make you a car. But in the same way, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. The fact that your parents were a Christian, it does, doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't change anything. It's your personal relationship with Christ. And so, so Pilate was forced, because now even on the one side, his own wife says, don't do anything with this man because... I had bad dreams last night. Please leave him alone. On the other side, there's the pressure of the crowds. And, there's, and now Pilate is indecisive, and so he does all of that stuff. And as long as we're indecisive, we're going to ignore, we're going to even admire, we're going to shift the responsibility. And then he came up with a brilliant plan. He says, ah, I'm going to substitute. There's another criminal, Barabbas. So what we're going to do is we're going to exchange. I'm going to say Barabbas in the place of Jesus, because that will fix everything. Then I don't need to do accountability to him. I don't need to live in a place of conviction. I'm, I'm going to just exchange. I'm going I'm to shift it. I'm going to delegate my spiritual responsibility to make decisions. But eventually the crowd says, no, no, we don't want Barabbas. We want Jesus to be crucified. See, Barabbas was a criminal, a, a hardened criminal. So even substitution won't work. And then later he blamed others. He said, look, you guys, okay, so you want him to be crucified, but, but his blood is on your hands. I'm not going to take blame for anything that's happening here. And he took the water and he washed his hands. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Are you still with me? Shake your neighbor next door and say, hey, he's still busy with the introduction. Because <laughs> every person in the life of Jesus had to make decisions because there's moments in your life when Jesus stands before you. There's moments in your life when you have to make a decision on what is the rest of my life going to look like? Am I going to serve other people? Am I going to serve other gods? Am I going to, whom am I going to worship? Because it's ultimately about worship. And either you're going to allow other people to worship you or you're going to worship somebody or something. Maybe it's the acceptance of people. So, Three things that Pilate got wrong. The first one was he lived for popularity 
and not out of principle. He feared what the crowd would say and do. Yes, he believed Jesus was a good guy, but he had the fear of man before he had the fear of God. And you and I are going to be faced with it. First year, you're going to be faced with what is the popular thing to do. And this is what it boils down to. Many believe in God as long as it does not cost them anything. So therefore, they choose a life of compromise. And this is what Pilate's problem was. He, I, I, I want to I be popular. I'm not going to live out of principle. I love what Angus says. He says it takes a dead fish to float with the current and a live fish to swim against it. Uh, you could say amen. That was a good place to say amen. Okay, so when you say amen, you just say I agree. So many people don't know what they stand for. They, they don't live out of principle. But your principles are going to be challenged. Because even at this university, everything is going to be like, hey, let's just be neutral. As long as it's good for you, you just have fun. But don't you tell me that there should be any accountability to God, you know. Because I'm just here to have fun. Sure. That's not what the Bible teaches us. Just do whatever you want to. But you know what? It's going to take courage and it's going to take a life to live out of principles. And when those principles are in place, it is just so amazing. Then you can say, uh -uh, okay, stop Lori, okay, I know God. And the moment when you take that stand to live out of principles, make decisions out of principles, do you know what? People are going to stop and they're going to start to respect you. I'm not saying this to be radical and stand on the street corner and wave your Bible and say, turn or burn, turn or burn, you know. We love people. We love our friends. We love people out there. But if you are not going to make a principled decision, then you know what? You're going to just float with the current. And then maybe like so many like people we see on campus here come with long tears and say, sure. If only, if only I listened to my grandma. <laughs> but it's going to take courage. It takes a lot of courage to know what you stand for. And to know what you stand for first needs to mean that I know who I stand before and who stands before me. It's called Jesus Christ. I'm looking for his validation. I'm looking for his affirmation. I'm looking for what he says. And he says tonight to you that he loves you and that he's proud of you. But don't... Just believe and don't think it's going to not cost you something. To be a Christian means it's going to cost you something. You know what that is? Everything. <laughs> Jesus said, unless you deny yourself. Then to your neighbor and say, unless you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. You have no part in him. Sure, that's a hard scripture. Listen to this in Acts chapter 4, verse 18. We're going to pick up some speed. So they called him and commanded him not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. In Acts 5, just a chapter later, he says, We will obey God rather than obey man. <laughs> so, May that be your motto for this year. I want to obey God rather than obey man. I want to tell you a story about, was it two weeks ago? I was traumatized for three days after that. Because I was jogging, and when I jog, uh, I really have to focus just to 
get to my end destination. So then Mustard's Drift, I'm coming around the corner and I'm jogging. I'm sort of at the end on kilometer number six. So here I'm going and there's a little bit of an uphill. As I'm coming around the corner, there's a scene playing itself off in the road in front of me. It's a little white car. The two doors are open. Nobody's sitting in the car, but it's about 150 meters away. And there's a Toyota Condor, uh, no, no, yeah, Fortuna, standing this with its back to me with somebody sitting inside. So now I'm jogging and I'm thinking like, this looks like an accident just happened. As I look on the sidewalk, there's a girl lying and there's a young guy trying to help this girl. And the girl is full of blood. Her whole face is full of blood. She came with the skateboard down this hill and, and she fell on the sidewalk and hit her head, semi-unconscious, trying to lie. Now I'm busy jogging and I'm picking up some speed to see how I can help. Or I'm not a medical person. I, I must first pray because I want to faint when I see blood. So, so I need a lot of faith. But okay, there's an accident here. Let's help the scene. As I'm jogging past the Fortuner, I realize that there's an older man sitting in the Fortuner with his phone. And he's taking a video of this scene on the sidewalk. And so now I'm jogging past the Fortuner and he's like videoing everything. And this other guy is trying to help this girl because he was obviously first on the scene. But this guy is more interested in the video that he's taking to probably show his friends. So, so now I run and this guy is trying to help. Now we're trying to get the lady to just, the girl to sit up straight just that her tongue is, doesn't fall back into her throat and she doesn't get air. You know, and so now I turn around and we get the girl on and I turn around and I look to the guy in the fortune and I say, have you phoned? Did you phone the ambulance? And the guy goes like, and I say, and I run over to him. I say, have you phoned the ambulance? There's a crisis here and you are more interested in phoning and videoing. And he says, no, he hasn't. I say, get off the camera and phone <laughs> you know as so i was screaming I, for a moment i lost my christianity you know for, for a moment i just i got raptured you know in my thoughts and my emotions so i wanted to slam the door stuck in pieces stakened you know i wanted to stake in that guy's fortune and i had this vision of it driving into the first easter river you know but so these thoughts came up and eventually this guy decides obviously this man is a bit aggro so so he sits up and now he phones the ambulance. So now I go away, the girl is fine, the ambulance comes, all that stuff, and we go. And for two days I'm thinking like, is this what our world has come to? That I'm more interested in taking a little video of an accident than actually helping people. See, that's people that don't live out of principle. They live for popularity. They live for the next experience, the next day. I saw this happening, and let me share it with you on Facebook or Instagram, all that stuff. But a girl was busy dying while he's more interested in his video. And I realized we as a society are in big, big trouble. But when the believers begin to stand up and say, we're going to live principled lives, oh, we're going to see the power of God manifest in ways that we've not seen. Amen? But it's going to cost us something. The second thing Pilate did is he settled for religion rather than relationship. He said, what shall I do with Jesus? Yeah? So sort of like, 
let's have the bigger opinion of all the people around. What are, are, are we more interested in the opinion of people? So a lot of people talk, but they have no testimony in their lives. And, and the question for us is, are we going to be people of faith and obedience? Because Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. But you comes to God must believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I made a quite a tough statement. Jesus does not want our compliments. He wants your life. He doesn't want token worship token prayers, token stuff. He doesn't, he wants all of you. And the best thing he can give to you is himself because he's not selfish. He's not, he's self-sufficient. So the best thing that you can do in your life is worship him and serve him because he's never going to come into a manipulation relationship with you. He's never, he doesn't come to you based on getting something from you. So worship does not affect God. It affects you. It changes you and I. And you need to worship Him, not just because He's your self-sufficient one and He's the rock on which you stand, because as you worship Him, you are going to change. I'm going to change. So true worship has always got something to do with obedience. You cannot say you're worshiping God, but there's no obedient lifestyle that follows, then that's not worship. It was just nice songs. Can I get an amen, Pastor James? Amen, amen, thank you. There's some amens coming from here, but these guys are going to wake up now. Now, shake your neighbor and say, hey, why are you smiling like that? So, the third thing that Pilate did is he had no conviction. Pilate was guilty, but he had no sense of guilt. It's like this guy sitting in this car taking this video, and it doesn't come to his mind that he should actually help this lady, that this lady lying here on the sidewalk is busy dying. So this guy doesn't even feel bad about it. He, he looked at me like, now I'm screaming at him and saying, did you find the ambulance? And he just looks, stares at me and like, are you weird? Why are you interrupting my lifestyle of comfort? Sure. But the whole world is full of people like that and has just no conviction. They think I'm a self-made man. You know where I came? I worked hard for this. And then the worst thing that he did is he took that basin and he took the water and he washed his hands in the water and he says, I'm innocent blood of this man you see if we are christians and if you read the bible now i, I, I must be honest with you I, I get a lot to do with christians in the middle east and there for instance if you get baptized you have signed your death certificate there if you become a pastor you will go to jail your seminary is at least three years in jail you're not even considered a pastor in the Middle East if you have not gone to jail. So we, when we quarrel, and a lot of us went up to Nepal, and you know, we, as a church, we believe we need to go to the nation. So every year in June, we send 20 teams to how many different countries? 22 countries. So, so students from the church here, we, we sent more than 200 students last, last year, June, to India, to Nepal, to 
Botswana, to places all over, over the world. We're sending a team now in March to Burundi again. But we, we had this privilege to go to Nepal, and, the, and we met this old lady. She and her husband was the first Christians to stand up and preach the gospel when it was still a Hindu kingdom. And her husband preached for two or three weeks, and then he was arrested. And he spent many years in jail. While she had a lot of young kids, they would sneak up to Kathmandu, and then they, the little kids could get through the bars, you know, and just connect with their dad. But she never saw him because she couldn't get through. And so they were the first preachers in Nepal. And today, one of the biggest revivals in the world amongst Christians is in Nepal. But we met this lady, and you know, this guy was in jail for so many years. I think it was nine or 11 years. I can't remember. But he came out, and then everybody said, shh, don't preach the gospel. You're going to go back to jail. And he says, but I've seen Jesus. What else can I do? So he was one week out on the street preaching about Jesus. Sure. And he was arrested again. Went back to jail. Is that tough? We have a problem in the West. We have a comfortable Christianity. And a lot of people are worshiping Jesus for what they can get out of that worship. Say, Lord, here, here I am, serve me. Lord, give me a degree, serve me, let me be. And Lord, let me marry a nice chick. And when you give me that, you know what, then I'm going to follow you. But that's not lordship. Jesus is Lord means he's the possessor of your life. He's the owner. You've given him everything. So Pilate didn't want to go there. And the scary part, and I'm just honest, I know the truth hurts sometimes, okay? But, but I'm just sharing my own conviction that the Bible convicts us of, yeah? In Matthew 12, 30, Jesus says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. That's not scary, eh? Jesus doesn't see neutrality. He says, either you're for me or you're against me. There's no in-between. Whoa, is that tough? It's truth. And it's tough, I mean. <laughs> but ritual will not excuse us of reality. So this is what Pilate tried to do. He tried to do a little ritual. Hey, I'm free. His blood is on your hands. But you know what? Ritual does not excuse you of the real challenges of following Jesus. He says, come, follow me. Don't be perfect. Don't try to be perfect. Follow me and I will make you fishes of men. Follow me. Come. And Peter stands there with a heap of fish that they just caught. I, if I was Peter, I would say, Jesus, do you know what? Stop a little bit. Let's sell this fish and give you like a supportive ministry for 20 years. Make some money and we're going to rumble the Romans, you know. But there's a whole heap of fish. They just caught it. The nets tore, basically. And then Jesus looks at the fish, looks at Peter, and he starts walking. He says, you, follow me. Peter's like, oh, Jesus, this is tough. But he wanted them to connect to the source, which was himself. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not giving you a little ritual on how to get to heaven one day. I am. I'm a person. And I want to have a real relationship with you. 
But that means you and I need to be real with God. We need to walk this road and say, God, I'm so afraid of surrendering because I don't know about you, but I'm a bit of a control freak sometimes. Any other control freak people? I, I, I want to like, I want to get the bottom line, you know? And then Jesus just says, follow me. Follow me and I will make you. Ritual will not excuse you. So Jesus came to a point with Philip and all these guys. Ten more minutes. Who gives me ten more minutes? Raise your hand if you give me ten. Ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty. Okay. There's a lot of first years. We can preach till we like late, you know? But Jesus stood before his disciples and then he asked this profound question in Matthew 16 verse 13. He says, Philip, Peter, you guys, I'm going to ask you a question. Who do the people say that I am? And they said, well, you're Elijah, you're John the Baptist. There's a lot of titles they give you, Jesus. And then I can see him standing there for a moment, breathing and then looking at Peter. And he says, okay, Peter, who do you say that I am? In Matthew 16, you can read it. And then, then he says, that last verse, he says, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God, you're the anointed of God, you're the son of the living God, Jesus. Everybody else has put a label on you because you were illegitimate, you were born out of wedlock, you didn't have a father, all the, they, they, even some, but some say you were like a prophet, some, they put a lot of labels on you, but I'm going to say one thing, Jesus, because I've seen you, I've known, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. Not a dead God, not a faraway God. You are the son of the living God. And the moment when he confessed that, Jesus says, well, do you know the amazing thing is, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And on this rock, on this revelation, where you really know who I am, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Sure, and whatever you bind on the earth will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. I'm going to show you the authority of the heavens. I'm going to teach you what it means to walk in the fullness of God but it comes out of a revelation of who I am not of who you are first or what you can do or all the nice stuff you can put on the table it's that moment when you stand before Jesus and he says Gideon who do you say that I am Michal who do you say that I am sure what's your answer tonight because a lot of your answer will determine the revelation in your heart. And maybe you say, well, I don't know. Then you're at a great place. Then you need to ask. Then you need to begin to say, will you say with me, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, last slide. Are you still going with me? Give me a thumbs up if you're right there at the back. Oh, thank you for your enthusiasm. So I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to make it to the week. Don't give me like, you know. How many of you are tired of like, Hey, what's your name? What are you studying? Where are you from? If one more person asks me this question, I am going to die, you know? And let's all pretend and smile if it's nice, you know? Sparkle after sparkle after sparkle after sparkle, yeah? Don't worry, you're not going to remember three quarters of the people that you've met. Just be friendly and just pretend and you're in your happy place. Oh, so who are you? As if it's the first person you've met in the past week, hey? First year, they're like, oh. And then some people give the wrong name. But so in any case, Mark chapter 15. I shared a couple of weeks ago on this, but some of us would be challenged by one thing. And the one thing is 
we imagine now, where's Lawson? I saw Dr. Lawson here. Where's Lawson? Ah, here he is. I'm always picking on him, you know? Lawson, if you want to go on a, on a diet, okay, ask Lawson to show you pictures of what he encounters every Saturday here at the hospital, okay? Because it's the other day, two people came walking in the one at a, was it here, Lawson? I can't remember. It was the one with the axe in his head, yeah? And the other one just came because he said, that's my axe. I want my axe back, you know? <coughs> so it's crazy. But um, <coughs> Lawson is one of the, the heads of the hospital here, so he, he's got like crazy stories. So if you're a doctor like that, sometimes you get desensitized to what you see because hey, you just have to harden your heart in a sense or you're sort of just like, hey, this is a project or whatever because I think I would have died long ago if I was like him, you know, because the pictures he sometimes shares, you know. Um, he invites a lot of people for lunch, him and his wife, Lindy. They invite a lot of people and then they just put up the pictures on the wall of everything they've encountered in the last month and they know nobody's going to eat anything. No, I'm only joking, I'm only joking. Okay, but... But imagine, the reason why I'm telling this is because there was a guy at the cross, it was his job to crucify people, a Roman centurion. So every day he saw people being crucified. It's the most horrific way of dying. That's why we say excruciating pain, excruciating out of the cross. It was the worst way that a human could die. Eventually, because of not being able to pull himself up, you would like suffocate. You had to pull yourself up to get breath into your lungs. So it wasn't just the pain of the stuff, the holes in his hands or the feet. It was excruciating. And here, um, a lot of people ran away. <clears throat> a lot of people mocked him. But there's this one story where this man at the cross, the centurion, stood opposite him, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, and he said, <coughs> sorry, truly this man was the Son of God. Truly this man was the Son of God. Truly. I tell you the truth. I've seen so many people die, but I've not seen one person die like him. Even the sinners on the cross next to him, the one mocked him and said, yeah, you deserve it. And the other one said, don't you know? Don't you know? He says, Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. Jesus said, today we're going to be in paradise together. But this centurion intrigues me. It's sort of like, I'm thinking like, wow. If he could see in the way that Jesus died, where it was his ordinary job every day to crucify people. He said, truly, this was the Son of God. What is your response? What is your response today, Willem? What is your response to that? Then it's not a game we're playing. It's church, church. We're not, we're not trying to psych you up, to enroll in a couple of programs, and to say, hey, I belong to a nice church, because they jump up and down, and they sing these cool songs. Tiptoe through the tulips because Jesus is so nice. That's an old song. Don't worry. 
you've not heard, it's like 1970s, but don't worry, I wasn't born either. So, but I know it's a tough one, but guys, ladies, are you going to be a principled person living out of conviction because you have a relationship with him? Are you going to say, God, I'm not just going to be somebody that passes through this life, but I've never made a true decision. And therefore, your decision should start in surrender, in worship, and making Jesus Lord of your life. You see, unfortunately, Jesus doesn't understand any other way because he gave everything. Not one person will be able to stand before God one day and say, God, you were unfair. You didn't know what I was going through. You didn't, I went through more suffering than you did by crucifying your own son. Not one person will be able to say that. Not one person in heaven, not one angel or demon, not one will be able to say God was unfair or unjust. Not one. Because what Jesus went through is more than what we could ever, ever even bear. So I want to end off with a story. One morning I was standing here and I was, I was a bit stressing. You know, pastors don't stress, but unfortunately I stress sometimes, you know. But um, so I stressed a bit because there was a lot of stuff and a lot of things and a lot of people, you know, because people are difficult to work with. You, you are difficult with, to work with. Just don't you know and say, sometimes you're difficult, you know. Okay. Because we are human. Lady there at the back, you enjoy that too much. You are difficult. I'm gonna... <laughs> okay, no, no, no. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> but, um, so now I'm standing. I'm standing here. I've preached. And I go down and I think like, oh, you know. Sure, you know. Lord, why are we going through such tough times? And it's not, you know, we're praying. And it's not happening like we're thinking. And all that stuff. And there's a lot of things around us. And a little nine-year-old boy came to me. And he came right to the front here. And he, he comes in from Clutusville. We have a church in Clutusville, a shofar church, and a pastor, Gerard. Lacquer, there's some pe Clutusville people there at the back. And so he came to stand here, and he just was waiting for me, because I was busy praying, doing the ritual and the duty of a pastor, you know? Da-da-da, da-da-da, be blessed, da-da-da, the Lord is with you, all that stuff. But meantime, in my own heart, it frots. What is that in English? It frots, you know? Okay? So I'm going to the end there, and that little boy stands there, and he just stands and he says, but, pastor, I want to tell you something. Why are you stressing like that? And I'm thinking, like, who told him? You know? Nine-year-old boy. And he says, but I want to tell you, when I walked into that door this morning, somebody greeted me. And I looked down and I saw, but the guy hasn't got shoes on his feet. I stared and I realized, like, oh, there's holes in his feet. Then I looked up and I saw him with holes in his hands. And I realized he's inviting me to take those hands and put my fingers in those, those holes. And I just want to come and tell you, Pastor, ask you why you're stressing so much when he's made provision for everything you need. 
I fell down. It was rivers of living water gushing out of my eyes. Everybody was out of the church and I was still lying there. Because it took one nine-year-old boy to say, why are you trying to take control of your life when he's made provision for you? Why are you trying to be in control? And that's why surrender is what God calls us to. Will you stand with me tonight? I'm going to ask the band to come up. Because there's two groups of people here tonight. I so love it. Bunny Mari sitting there at the back. She's 92 years old. She always comes early for church a bit, but then she tells me, hey, the angels are standing over there, and the angels are standing over there, and I'm thinking like, wow, Bunny Mari. You've seen the faithfulness of God. You've seen God. Been there. Bought the t-shirt. But when you speak to Danny Mari, you'll realize, like, sure, she's so in love with Jesus. 50 years later, 60 years later, it's how I be like that. You see, because when you allow Jesus to stand before you and you begin, you began to just be real with him. That's where we start. Just say, God, I haven't got all together. This is my first year. I'm so afraid. I don't have it all together. Lord, I'm under so much pressure to be popular. All my friends are here, maybe from that school, and that we're in such a culture, and it's just, Lord, maybe you're trapped in a cycle of, of, of just things that life has thrown at you. Maybe you're here, and your parents are living in different places, they're divorced, and there's this battle, there's so much stress, there's so much stuff happening in your life. Then I've got a message for you. Jesus will never do this. Come to me, all who are weary. Come, put your hands, put your fingers there. I've made provision. And yes, it's going to cost you. Yes, it's going to mean you have to decide to live a principled life. And you can't do it on your own. There's no self-made man in the kingdom. There's only one that can be worshipped. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.